Morning, everyone. So good to see you. Uh, writer Annie Dillard said this, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. And so at the beginning of the year, we've been in this series called Rhythms of Life, looking at how we spend our days, maybe some changes of how we might want to spend and order our days. And we've been talking about this phrase, rhythms of life or rule of life. One author defines it as this way, a rule of life serves as a tool that can help you make decisions for your life and determine how best to order your days. And so three weeks ago, Nelson, in the Inward uh, Sermon, talked about rule of life. And if you weren't here, I commend that to you. Uh, But used this metaphor of trellis, trellis and vine, needing order, structure for the vine uh, to grow. And most living things need structure. I guess, that you know, there's some plants. I always get in trouble when I go into this because I don't have examples. I think squash perhaps watermelon, uh, these types of things don't need structure because they can grow on the ground. But most everything else, uh, unless it has that structure, it ends up getting covered in mud and folding in on itself and hidden from the life and light and just overtaken by weeds. And so trellis orients the vine upward and outward. And so that's what we've been looking at, this idea of a rhythm of life or a rule of life. What is your trellis? Uh, And if you've been around even longer than that, you know for the last, I guess, year and a half, as a church, we've been trying to recalibrate about around one very singular focus, and that's apprenticing one's life to Jesus. And so we've been talking and talking and talking a lot about apprenticing to Jesus, uh, reorienting around the goals of uh, being with him, becoming like him, and doing what he did. And so the question then, of course, is, well, how does that happen? How is apprenticeship going to happen? And is it, in fact, happening in my life? Uh, And if there was a a non-creepy, I want to underline that, a non-creepy, non-Truman Show-esque way to record your week, and then there would be some reason or interest by another person to want to watch, you know, a full week of your life, again, just non-creepy, of some way to do that, would it be obvious or traceable in my life, would it show up that, oh, that's, that's what he's on about. Oh, he's, he's apprenticing his life to Jesus. And so as a church, we're wanting to say yes. And however practiced you are, or however suspicious you are, or however devoted you are, we want to be a community that that's what we're moving towards, apprenticing our lives to Jesus. And so along with all that apprenticeship talk, there's been partnership talk, a lot of ship talk. Uh, partnership, in, then just saying, well, let's, who, who's in for doing that? Let's, let's band together then and figure out how we're going to do that in real time in Vancouver. How can that be visible and tangible in our day-to-day? And uh, one of the other things we've talked about then to make apprenticeship real or the, or the trellis is uh, then crafting a rule of life. And so there's a little workbook that's at the info desk. Um, and the hope is if you're interested in partnership, then this becomes a living uh, document that you revisit And there's all kinds of helps and steps of how to craft a rhythm of life. And then it becomes normal for us to talk about that. It becomes normal for it to come up in uh, your neighborhood group or with a spiritual director or with a pastor or with uh, a friend to talk about, well, what's the trellis? How, How are you organizing to move inward, outward, withward, and upward? And so commend that workbook to you. So let's, uh, let's hear then Jeremiah 6, 16, and then we're going to look at the upward direction. This is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is, and walk in it, and you'll find rest for your souls. So we come asking, come curious, become interested, and in all other kinds of conditions, perhaps tired, fatigued, hopeful, we come and we ask for the ancient paths and for the strength to walk in it. So grateful to be here at this time in this neighborhood. Uh, And we remember, even as we're opening scripture, we remember our uh, other fellow congregations in the neighborhood are doing the same. So we pray in this moment for St. James down the street in Strathcona Vineyard, friends at Mosaic. We're grateful to be here. 
We pray for them as we pray for us in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, upward direction, upward rhythm. What exactly are we even talking about when we talk upward? It would probably be like, well, some sort of movement toward God. Yeah, but what are we actually talking about? What are the upward practices? So I'm curious what you would say when, when, we, when we even bring up upward. What are the practices that you think would be upward? Let's hear it. Sorry? Pray. Prayer. Yes. Praying. Worship. So two solid ones. <laughs> Anything else? Silence. Gratitude. Study. Study to know God in particular, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and I think at the heart of any of those practices, I think we'd want to say is a sense of, if we were to boil it down or distill it down, to a sense of worship and wonder. And so I'm, I'm interested in how that movement gets cultivated. How does that happen? Uh, this is Mary Oliver. You may know uh, a couple weeks ago, Mary Oliver died. She's in her 80s, and I know she's a poet that uh, means a lot to many of you. Often when people ask me, say, they say, I want to get into poetry. Where do I start? I usually start with Mary Oliver. Uh, she's, she's so accessible and full of wonder, and uh, she's written just so much. Um, and so when I think of things like worship and wonder, I can't help but think of Mary. So we've got we to hear from Mary this morning. A couple of poems. Okay, this is one called, I Happened to Be Standing. I don't know where prayers go or what they do. Do cats pray while they sleep half asleep in the sun? Does the possum pray as it crosses the street, the sunflowers? The old black oak growing older every year? I know I can walk through the world along the shore or under the trees with my mind filled with things of little importance in full self-attendance. A condition I can't really call being alive. Is prayer a gift or a petition, or does it matter? The sunflowers blaze. Maybe that's their way. Maybe the cats are sound asleep. Maybe not. Well, I was thinking, this hap- I was, happened to be standing just outside my door with my notebook open, which is the way I begin every morning, when a wren in the privet began to sing. He was positively drenched in enthusiasm. I don't know why. And yet... Why not? I wouldn't persuade you from whatever you believe or whatever you don't. That's your business. But I thought of the wren singing. And what could this be if it isn't a prayer? So I just listened, my pen in the air. And one more called praying. It doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones. Just pay attention. Then patch a few words together and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but the doorway into thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak. So later on in her life, near near the end of her life, Mary Oliver offered these reflections. She said, knowledge has entertained me and it has shaped me and it has failed me. Something in me still starves. And it was probably the most serious inquiry of my life. I've begun to look past reason, past the provable, in other directions. Now I think there is only one subject worth my attention, and that is the precognition of the spiritual side of the world. And within this recognition, the condition of my own spiritual state. Such interest nourishes me beyond the finest compendium of facts. 
I would therefore write a kind of elemental poetry. I would write, write praise poems that might serve as comforts, reminders, or even cautions if needed to wayward minds and unawakened hearts. And I think this is often what many have experienced in Mary Oliver's poetry. You get caught up in her outward movement, her wonder. And the thing that I think is, is easy to miss, you can enjoy the fruit of those poems, but, but those poems came through uh, what she would say is attention is the beginning of devotion. So that would come through a life of attention, but that attention was safeguarded and nourished by structure, by trellis, by a lot of time outside walking beaches and forests. And so it's easy to admire the poem, but there's a trellis that supported that poem. And it's great to read Mary Oliver, and yet I feel so different than her. It seems like wonder and worship comes easy. I'm also married to a person who I feel the same way. Just this week, we had an experience in our home where I asked Amy if I could share this story, just so you know, uh, where Amy uh, had some cash and she lost it. It was $150. That's a decent chunk of change in our household. Uh, $150 that she put in her jeans. It just didn't get far enough into her jeans. And so somehow it worked its way up and out. And so we tried to retrace steps back to Shoppers Drug Mart, looking out on the curb, uh, flashlights, all of that. Couldn't find it. Next morning, you know, maybe, maybe it'll turn up. You know, prayed about it. Uh, Lord, we need, we need, that'd be nice. We never found it. And uh, later that morning, she was texting me, giving updates. And she says, she let me know she was walking back from the chiropractor and there was some uh, windshield glass from a car that had broken and it was in tiny little bits and it was all scattered and nestled in this little strip of grass by the curb. And she said, I saw the glass and I saw it like diamonds shining. And uh, I saw all of that and, and I thought, I still have my eyes. And eyes was all caps. And she said, and I still have my legs and I still have you. And I thought, well, who is this person? <laughs> That's your response to losing $150 you know, through the disappointment, but was able to enjoy seeing broken glass and grass, and that led to some wonder and worship and gratitude. And so as much as I love Mary Oliver, and I certainly love Amy, I feel like I often don't have those reflexes. Sometimes you can hear worship songs. Sometimes, even as we sit, you can see another person clearly inhabiting that song, and that song's a meeting place. And there can be the sense of you're standing on the outside of whatever it is they're so enjoying. And I often identify with that feeling. And part of it, I think, is being married to Amy, where, where the world seems to always be magical and wonderful. And so what do you do when the wells of worship and wonder are actually fairly dry? That's what I often want to know. And I've shared this before, but I, I revisit this every quarter, at least in my life. So I'm going to share it with you again. I, I checked when I last shared it with you it was in the spring. So I'm going to give you my quiz uh, again. This is called the LCO Obligated Fascinated Quiz. It's nine points, and, and this is just for me. But if you want to get in on it, you can. What's more interesting, an obligated or a fascinated person? The answers are in blue. <laughs> fascinated. Correct. Which are you more often? Geez, these questions are getting rather pointed and personal in a hurry. Obligated. What does a fascinated person do? They are open. They are hungry. They are perpetually learning. What keeps a person fascinated? while staying connected to the belief that there's always more to the thing than I've experienced, than I understand, or that I currently see. The person or thing is always better than I know or I'm currently giving them credit for. So I'd call that staying curious. Cool exercise, and this matters the slightest to anyone else because, well, because, share, this is more of a dialogue and less of a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> well, because shared fascination makes for the best science and songs and preaching, and it matters because obligation doesn't make for very good work, nor will it sustain you in your work. Do you remember Mary Oliver's instructions for living a life? 
Yes, I do, but only because this quiz is open book. Pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. Okay, so then the question becomes quite pointed. Will you? You are so direct. Will you? Yes, I have to. I want to, and I realize there are things only I can be responsible for in my life. No one will read poetry for me. No one will exercise my body for me. No one will pursue the presence of God for me. There is no other person that will discipline my life toward delight other than me. It's amazing that it's taken you four decades to discover this. Congratulations. Wow, sarcasm too. Thank you. Now what? The focus of every day must be finding, feeding, and focusing fascination. All of this is found through discipline, delight, and curiosity. The purpose of a day is to taste and see that the Lord is good. So Abram Heschel's prayer, I think, is really fitting. He writes, Dear Lord, grant me the grace of wonder. Surprise me, amaze me, awe me in every crevice of your universe. Delight me to show how your Christ plays in 10,000 places. He's, he's quoting Gerard Manley Hopkins, another poet, who talks about this idea of, of Jesus playing in creation and, and in a way the game is to recognize and see him in other people and places. And so he's referencing that. Lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his, to the Father through the features of people's faces. Each day enrapture me with your marvelous things without number. I do not ask to see the reason for it all. I ask only to share the wonder of it all. And so the question, at least my question is, then how does that upward movement happen genuinely? Not just with obligation and not, not with the assumption that it happens without discipline or when I just feel like it. But how does that movement upward ha happen in a genuine sense? How might I grow a life of attention and devotion, worship and wonder, prayer and presence? And so I want to look at a text with you. I think that uh, is really helpful in seeing how that upward movement moves. And this is John 20. If you have a chair Bible, let's go there together and look at this. A disclaimer. I don't know if anyone would even notice but I hesitated going to this text because probably out of any text in the history of artisan, this is the text I've gone to the most. I think any membership class we've had, we've been in this text. Um, and I don't think anyone would remember that. But I remember, and so I felt awkward about it. Um, but I, this, this text, I think, works like a multi-sided diamond. Just one little, one little turn, every time, one little turn, there's, there's something new to, to see and to discover. And so... Let's hold this text up like, like that multi-sided diamond. So this is, just for context, this is post-resurrection. Uh, this is somewhere in the fallout between Jesus dying, and apparently there's rumors that he's risen again. And so now Jesus' followers are totally caught in the space between. It's very liminal. They have no idea what's going on. That's the context. So verse 19, of, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after this, he showed them his hands and sighed. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And so the setting, the context of where we're picking up here, Jesus' disciples are locked away in fear. They're locked away in fear. They've just, the, the whole Jesus project has completely gone sideways. There's no such thing as a crucified Messiah. And, and that's just what happened to the one they were hoping to be Messiah. And so they're likely worried that what happened to Jesus is going to happen to them. Uh, I do not want to be associated with that movement. And so they're, they're hidden. They're afraid. They're locked away. And what we're seeing here is we're seeing really the embers of a movement about to go out. There's 11 people left. And they're so confident in the movement that they're hiding. They're hiding. There's, there's no hope here. And so that's, 
the setting, the place of fear, the place of abandonment, the place of this is no longer working. This is the place of I thought I knew you, but I don't. This is the place of loss and defeat. Do you know this place? This is the place of being stalled and stuck. And the text says that Jesus comes and stands in their midst. Another translation says he, stand, he came and stood in the middle, in the center. So the place of fear and abandonment and dislocation, Jesus interrupts and intrudes upon and inserts himself in the center of that place. Now, the text says that Jesus' greeting was, peace be with you. Shalom. And one little twist on the diamond that's been helpful for me. I, often when I've looked at this, I've, I've focused on that. I like that, the, the peace that Jesus brings. But one little twist has been, uh, one way of reading this is to remember that shalom is very common Middle Eastern greeting. That's, that's the same of saying, really the equivalent and of saying, hello. Hello. Anyone else know how to say hello in another language other than English? If you do, we, I want to hear it. We need to hear it. Yeah. Oh, were you putting your hand up? Yes. Great. Do you know? Hola. Great. <laughs> that was a lot of buildup, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, we got hola. What else do we have? Bonjour. What is da? Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> oh. What is that? Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah. Keep talking, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, everybody, yeah. Yeah. Yes. What is that? Yeah. Ni hao. Yeah. Hello. So simple of a greeting. So remembering the context, Jesus puts himself in the center. And, and I like the reading of the most common greeting. Hello. What's in a greeting? Well, it's, it's the first act of welcome. It's the first move into conversation. So these disciples who have locked themselves in fear and real abandonment, it's done. And now the one who they suddenly, you know, the one perhaps they stopped believing in, perhaps the one they most feared, perhaps the one they least wanted to see, stands in the center of the room and greets them uninvited. Hello. Hello. To you in the locked room. Hello. I think this is the beginning place of prayer. Being greeted. Being addressed. What's in hello? It's I see you. At, at, at its essence is you're here and so am I. And so are we. Hello. Turns out then that the place of fear is also then the place of prayer. Hello. Been reading a poet named Padre Gotuma, who lives in uh, Northern Ireland, and he he talks a lot about this sense of hello, learning how to say hello. And when we had little kids with with even Elijah, when they were very young, they're entering the adult world, and they would get addressed by adults who would you know be looking down on their little two foot frame and say hello, Eva, and we'd have to give them coaching to say hello back because often kids just stand and look. You can say hello back. We need to learn how to say hello. So here's a poem by Padre Otuma. He says, Neither I nor the poets I love have found the keys to the kingdom of prayer. And we cannot force God to stumble over us where we sit. But I know that it's a good idea to sit anyway. So every morning I sit, I kneel, waiting, making friends with the habit of listening, hoping that I'm being listened to. 
There I greet God in my own disorder. I say hello to my chaos, my unmade decisions, my unmade bed, my desire and my trouble. I say hello to distraction and privilege. I greet the day and I greet my beloved and bewildering Jesus. I recognize and greet my burdens, my luck, my controlled and uncontrollable story. I greet my untold stories, my unfolding story, my unloved body, my own love, my own body. I greet the things I think will happen, and I say hello to everything I do not know about the day. I greet my own small world and hope that I can meet the bigger world that day. I greet my story and hope that I can forget my story during the day and hope that I can hear some stories and greet some surprising stories during the long day ahead. I greet God, and I greet the God who is more God than the God I greet. Hello to you all, I say, as the sun rises above the chimneys of North Belfast. Hello. I think prayer begins when we find the shock that we're being addressed and greeted. And then learn how to say hello back. Learn how to have the courage to name where we are and not where we think we should be. To say hello to here, to hello to fear. Hello to boredom and hello to joy. Hello to this next season. Hello to shame. Hello to the one who has found me again. Maybe that's a way to grow in the upward direction, is learning how to practice to say hello. Hello. How to, how to greet the day, how to greet the conversation that keeps trying to emerge, but you keep pushing it down. Hello. The text continues on after Jesus says hello. There's a bit of show and tell. He moves in where he shows them his wounds and his scars. And the disciples say when they, see, or the text says when the disciples see these wounds and scars, that they're overjoyed. So I want to know what did they see in those beautiful scars? What, what was it that they were perceiving? And, and uh, what, how did that create joy? I think that's a question to sit a, a long time with. And I'm not totally certain what they saw. But I have a few hunches. I think... Uh, I think what they saw was this is, in fact, Jesus. And what Jesus is holding out before them are his historical documents. <laughs> the evidence of his resurrection. He's holding his wounds and scars to say, read these. The disciples here have real, palpable, empirical, physical evidence that Jesus was historically raised from the dead. Not mythically or spiritually but historically raised. This is what they're seeing in these scars. It's, it's you. You mean this isn't just sentiment, but this is like a, a, a historically turning event. If, if this really happened, then everything we've read in the New Testament is not just inspirational stories, but actually historical fact. I think that's what they're reading in the, the beautiful scars. I think they're also reading the sufficiency of the cross. Jesus shows him, shows them the, his wounds and his scars, and, and there's so many things to see there. One being the vindication of vulnerability, that God's way of winning victory in the world is through vulnerability and weakness. They're seeing forgiveness. They're seeing f- reconciliation. They're seeing that love wins. And so seeing these beautiful scars, the result of this encounter is joy. Joy, this is better than I thought. And the third thing Jesus does is he, and this is very, very odd. I don't know if you noticed it, but I think this is the, the weirdest part of the text and most fascinating, where Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And then he breathed on them. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you, he tells his disciples. Jesus now fully tips his hand. His plan to the disciples is for you to carry on my lifestyle and my mission. His plan is a continuity. His plan is that you will do the Jesus stuff. You. And that's the problem. 
I imagine some of them saying, yeah, yeah, we get that. That's why we're hiding up here. <laughs> we, we get at least a little bit of that. That's why we're afraid. And if I was standing in there, I would have so many other questions. Like, that's, it's, you know, very intriguing theology. But how is that going to happen? How, I want to know how. I want to know the means. Uh, last night at the Artisan Improv, I think Jalen was introducing the next game that was going to happen. And there was a kid in the front row after hearing, um, he said, yeah, but how is this going to work? <laughs> and Jalen said, yeah, exactly, we don't know. <laughs> That's the beautiful, beautiful part of improv, don't know. But there's, there's that question, like, how? How, how is this going to be actually resourced? Who's bankrolling this? I mean, we're clearly not you. We don't do what you do. If the last three years have proved anything, it's that. So how is this going to happen? Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus has been talking about the Holy Spirit for quite a while. And I wonder if, as he did, the disciples were like, yeah, that's really, that's, that's weird. It's interesting. Jesus seems to be very excited about this. Early in John 14, Jesus says, it's better for me, it's, sorry, it's better for you that I go away. He says, it's better And I can't imagine what they would have been thinking. You know, are you kidding me? We've given our whole lives to follow you, to learn from you, to watch you. You are the most compelling, ingenious, compassionate, free person we have ever met. And and you're saying it's better you leave? And Jesus says, yeah, I'm not just leaving. But it's better for me to go so, so that the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter, the advocate can come. And so he explains this in John 16, and you can look further if you'd like. But he says, if I go, then God the Father will send you a helper in my place, the Holy Spirit. And he'll come to live inside each of you, giving you peace, creative power, and discernment about what the Father wants to do. He will teach you things you don't know yet and help you to do greater things than I have done. But for the Holy Spirit to come, I have to go. And later on in Luke, he says, stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And he promises, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so this fledgling, absolutely bankrupt, fearful, not one in the bunch is thinking, let's, you know what, you know what we've got here? This is the recipe for a life-changing movement. I, I, all the ingredients are here. Nobody's saying that. Nobody's whiteboarding plans and strategy of how, you know, how this Jesus movement is going to continue. None of that's happening. This fledgling band of, of Jesus' followers are told to wait, to be emptied of their activity and of their youthful, usefulness. They're told to wait. Why? Because Jesus is just so excited to give them the Holy Spirit. Why? Because what Jesus calls the church to do is impossible without this Holy Spirit. Because the church is born and sent and resourced and united and animated by this Holy Spirit. And because sailboats and lungs and weather systems and eagles do not work without wind. And the church does not work without the wind of this rushing Holy Spirit. And so in the Acts... The book of Acts is often called the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And so we see the church, this fledgling group of people, converted and animated by the Holy Spirit, empowered to do what? To bear witness to the risen Jesus. Empowered to find real unity and diversity. Empowered to, to be strong, to bear opposition even unto death, empowered to shed racism and provincial mindsets, empowered to resist the empire and to heal and to raise the dead and to see the little and the last and the lost, empowered and gifted by the Holy Spirit to be in a very natural way supernatural in the midst of their cities. And all of this happens only because the Holy Spirit is given and gifted. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost, but then keeps getting poured out 
throughout the book of Acts. We read in Acts 10, it says the Holy Spirit fell. And so where I'm going with all of this is this. That this, this, this downward movement, the falling of the Holy Spirit, the gifting of the Spirit, is what creates any movement in your life or mine in the church. That is to say, there is no withward, no outward, no inward, no upward, apart from the downward of the Spirit. Downward is the new upward. <laughs> it's impossible. You're grinding the gears. You've got no oil on the, on the chain. You've just got oars on river rock. Apart from the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the one thing Jesus wants the most to have is he breathes on them, receive the Holy Spirit. And there's, we won't get into all the arguing about what, what's going on. Is this a pre-configuration of Pentecost? Is there two outpourings of the Spirit? Let the theologians go at it and argue. I, I don't think that matters. I think the main thing is that Jesus is signaling what you most need. It's the Holy Spirit. And this week as I was reading, it was just, it's funny, hey, how, how words can work. One little shift in language uh, felt like a door, a doorway open. So receive the Holy Spirit is often how I've read it. But there's another way to translate that, and it's welcome the Holy Spirit. Welcome the Holy Spirit. And maybe that popped for me because I've been thinking a lot about welcome. A couple weeks ago, I went to Ireland for the first time. And uh, here's just one picture here. I, I landed in Dublin and my friend Rob picked me up, and he said, uh, I know you've got lots planned for your time in Ireland, but I thought what you, you most would need is just some time with the family. And so we're going to my favorite pub, Johnny Fox's, and I want you to have some good Irish food. And I, I've invited my kids and my dad. And so we got to Johnny Fox's, and I thought, this is, I came through the door, and I thought, I've landed in the Shire. It, it's real. <laughs> It, it's real, and um, the warmth there. Um, but it's a strange thing where the, my first night there actually became maybe the highlight of the trip, and it was the most average, many ways kind of boring night. And I was trying to con convey to Amy what happened around that table. Rob's dad, mid-70s, David Jones. He's an, an Irish man. Here's a picture of him there. And it was in that night where I first started hearing this phrase I heard all the time in Ireland, you're so welcome. You're so welcome, Lance. Not just welcome, but you're so welcome, Lance. So he'd say that, and he's so happy that I was visiting his country, and he's asking me a lot about Canada and my family. He heard, okay, you're a pastor. He says, so are you Episcopalian? I said, no, no. He says, you're Presbyterian then. He said, no. He says, if you're not Catholic and you're not Church of Ireland, what are you? I said, it's uh, the Mennonite Brethren. Hmm. <laughs> kind of looked at Rob and uh, so we moved on. <laughs> so I, I received an invitation. I received guidance through the menu, highlighting things. We had my Google Maps open and the two of them argued about the best routes I needed to take when I went to the Dingle Peninsula. But what really uh, affected me was the conversation, which was, again, so normal. I said to Amy, it was like we were excavating, turning things over that we'd looked at a hundred times. But this conversation wasn't about content. It was about communion. And I realized, oh, I'm not in many conversations like that. And I don't really inhabit a lot of conversations like that. It was about communion. It didn't matter if we... Oh, the Irish accent's coming out. <laughs> it didn't matter if we <laughs> discovered anything new because what we're, we were in this together. There's space, there's curiosity, there's respect. There's this, also this great phrase, go on, go on, Lance. So I'm telling a story and he's liking it. Go on. And so I did. I really went on. And, and he, he's egging me on. Go on, go on. And I said to Amy, I, th I think what David Jones did was that he was tending to the conversation beneath the conversation. He somehow attuned to that. We were talking up here. We were talking about roads and, you know, places. 
and food and language and Episcopalians. But what was happening was down here. He was tuned into that. And later that night, he drove me home. And he's retired to become a taxi driver, mostly because he loves talking with people. He has a problem of not always charging people uh, because he, li- he likes to keep them talking, and so he can't charge. And so we sat in the car out front of my Airbnb, and I was trying to find words to thank him for the night and for his hospitality. And so we shook hands, and he didn't let go. And so the handshake went to hand-holding. <laughs> and, and so I just sat there, and he says, I have to thank you, Lance. You gave my family a great gift. I said, oh, no, that's not how, that's not at all. And he says, uh, our son Graham died a month ago. And so you found us at our worst. You found us at our most vulnerable. And so it was so nice to have someone from away and who, could, who could be with us. So thank you for the great gift. And he started weeping. And so I started weeping. And we just held hands, crying over his loss, crying over the surprise of a new friendship. He says, I'd very much like for you to come to, with to church with me on Sunday, which, which I couldn't. I wish I could have. Um, I think he, he was trying to convert me a bit. Um, <laughs> and, and I just keep thinking about that. What was that? Well, it was welcome. It was tending to a conversation beneath the conversation. Somehow, obviously, came as strangers and left as friends. How did that happen? Welcome. The Holy Spirit. I think implicitly there, there's an invitation to be hosted and to be host. I think it's also good to ask, well then, what or who am I welcoming if I welcome the Holy Spirit? I think that's a good thing to search scripture and to seek experience around. There's some things you can only know by entering them. But if that's, a, if that's a living question for you, I'd encourage you to live in, live in and lean into that. What or who then am I welcoming? I think there's many things. You're welcoming a transforming friendship. The point of the Holy Spirit is to continue Emmanuel, God with us. I think you're, you're, you're welcoming capabilities and power that aren't your own intelligence and creativity that aren't your own. I think you're welcoming conviction for someone to, to help you discern rightly. You are welcoming uh, a, a bent, a drive, a pushing towards reconciliation. You are welcoming change. The Holy Spirit hovers over chaos and brings order out of chaos. That's what Genesis shows us. So you you're welcoming that. I think you're also welcoming a lot of gentleness and respect. Respect for your person, respect for your timing. Some, something like David Jones, who comes with curiosity and questions and attends to the conversation beneath the conversation. So as we close here, I, I, I can't shake the sense that somehow our future as a church is, is found in this text. And, and I don't entirely know what's appropriate in relating to Scripture, but I keep wanting the audacity to say, can this be our story too? Could, could, could this be our story where there is an intruder who enters the place of fear and the locked places and, and stands in the center and shows his beauty that leads to joy, that gives a commissioning and an invitation and then a spirit to animate it all and to bankroll it all. Could this be my story too? So three things. Learning to say hello in the place of fear. This is an invitation to encounter. To not only believe things, but to encounter the one who stands. I remember definition of reality is reality is that which still exists when you stop believing in it. You're not holding this up. And, and for many of us, if you've grown up in church, there can be the feeling that you're holding this up. But it's the locked places, it's the places of abandonment and fear where you discover, when you let go, when you discover 
that you're not holding it up. This works by grace. So a culture of encounter, learning how to say hello, whether that's uh, just starting as a prayer practice, perhaps starting or ending your day. Piece of paper, hello, ellipsis, list. Praying as you are, not as you think you ought to be. That might be one way. Another way is the daily offices. This is a way to, to, to greet the day, to greet God, to greet the conversation beneath the conversation. Um, and this is an ancient practice, but that gives a bit of trellis, a bit of structure to your prayers. And so I commend that to you. You can get them at the uh, info desk. So learning to say hello. That may mean just this afternoon getting to Jericho. And it's super cold. But you realize there's been a conversation that's been waiting to be had. And, and you're going you're gonna to walk into it. And there may be words or there may be silence. <laughs> but you're going to greet the God who's been greeting you. Hello. It could involve snowshoes too. That if you just need to branch out. Okay? You get snowshoes on and... Nathan Grauman will take you up a mountain, I'm sure. Thank you, Nathan, for your kind offer. Um, learning to say hello. Second is to see the beautiful scars. This is an invitation into contemplation. Learning how to behold. A way of practiced seeing that somehow Mary Oliver has practiced and Amy Odegaard has practiced. A way of seeing, a way of nourishing the conversation by beholding. And the third one is welcoming the Holy Spirit, being hosted and being host to the presence of God. There's an ancient prayer that is it's, it's just this, come Holy Spirit. And I love that this prayer isn't for like those who are really certain and like the spiritual giants. This is for those in the place of fear in the upper room who are waiting and empty and have nothing else but to cry out, come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, pour out afresh your, your life, your vision, animate your people again. Come, Holy Spirit. And so we want to make that, I think, uh, well, I've been wondering, what would it be like for a group of people just to orient around a cry? You know, it's, it, you can orient around a program or all kinds of stuff. But I thought, what would it be like to have a community that's oriented just around a cry and a longing? and an ache, and a desperation. Come, Holy Spirit. So, invite the band to come forward, and we're going to find our own way into response here. And uh, let's, have, let's have a prayer. I, I, I want to pray for three groups of people here. We'll just, this won't be long, but we'll take a few moments here to uh, figure out if this, this story might become our story as well. And in classic church fashion, sometimes when we do this, we say, if this is you, stand. Would you stand? And so I'm going to give that invitation, but also with the knowledge that God sees you if you're sitting. And uh, last week, Janelle stood and, and shared a bit of her story, which was really courageous and, and uh, amazing. But in doing that, Janelle risked being seen and, and being known in her need. And so if you want to stand as a way to be seen and known, you can do that. But also know there's no obligation, and God sees you if you're standing. So the first people we want to pray together for is those who would say, yeah, I'm, I'm in that locked place. I'm, I'm in the locked place. I am stuck, and I'm stalled, and I'm in a place of fear. So let's go to prayer. If that's you, you're invited to stand or to sit. So let's pray. Thank you that the place of fear, the place of being stuck, isn't where the story ends. And so we pray with the faith that we have and the hope that we have for our sisters and brothers who find themselves in that space that the story is not over. Pray for a fresh intrusion of your grace, of your greeting, of your presence. 
And like Jacob, who's been in the midst of a wrestling match, has been running and running, you come out on the other end and say, surely God was in this place and I didn't perceive it. Pray for your working of grace for those who feel locked and stuck. And the second group of people we want to pray for are those who are, need a sense of new purpose and mission, who are bored. Thank you that you commission in this text, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So we pray for new imagination around a life that's ordered certainly more around a paycheck or even fulfilling our own dreams, but a life that's oriented around a summoning, a calling, an evoking, a provoking by the living God. So those of us who are bored, who feel lost, would you help us get caught up in the flow of what you're doing in the world in Christ? And lastly, for those of us who have a cry in us to welcome the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you can't be manipulated and we don't want to try to, but we do want to say, come Holy Spirit. Would you come in my life? Would you bring order? Would you come in the life of this church? Our hope is in your spirit being at work, animating, bringing new life. Would you lead us to orient around a cry? Come Holy Spirit. So we do that now as the band will lead us in this place, continuing to pray. If you'd like to pray for a friend or if you need prayer, you can ask a friend. Prayer doesn't just have to happen up on the front corner here, but there will be people that uh, will pray with you. But let's use this space. Let's not rush out of it too quickly. We can inhabit here and learn to be hosted and to host the presence of God.